0: Hello everyone and welcome to New Books in Medicine. I am your host, Jeremy Kaur. Today we will be talking to Dr. Nivedita Lakhera. She is here today to talk about her book, Pillow of Dreams. Niv, welcome to the show. Hey,
1: hey Jeremy, thank you so much and hello everyone there.
0: Uh, I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself.
1: So I'm Nivedita Lakera. Everybody calls me Niv. Uh, so as a child, or since my childhood, I've, I've been very passionate about every aspect of life, which is very confusing for my teacher and my family, and uh, even at times for me. But um, I love science. I love literature, dance, art, theater. So I have a very, very appetite for life. So I had to curb uh, all my passions so one by one by one I can satisfy them. So first I became a doctor. And then I'm satisfying my other cravings of life, like writing and philanthropy and art and whatnot. So that connected me to you. <laughs> <laughs> so I loved, I loved, uh, my dad is a cardiophysiology scientist in a very reputed um, DRDO institution in, in India, which is a very reputed defense Organization. So I grew up uh, between you know science journals uh, to the extent that when I was in third third grade or fourth grade, I used to prepare presentations for my dad when he gets busy. So <laughs> at that time we used to make transparencies. You know it was it's a developing nation and we didn't have uh, PowerPoint Microsoft at that time. So. I used to make uh, transparencies for the soldiers living, uh, like, uh, working in Siachen glaciers and measurements of their lung function tests. So that's the kind of environment I grew in. I was very fascinated with physiology. And I used to tell him that I'm going to be a scientist, but I don't think I have this much patience to wait for years for research to reveal what's good for people and therefore I thought medicine is what is very rewarding because I can learn science and I can have my instant gratification high of managing something acute. So thereby um, I was in a hurry to get to med school. So I took my insurance when I was 16 or 15 and I I went to med school when I was 17 and uh, I was just trying to do internal medicine, and believe it or not, it's very competitive in India to get MD internal medicine, so when I came to US, I was very excited because I got to do my MD in internal medicine, um, and uh, first year, I did at the Samaritan in Baltimore, which was an incredible experience, and second and third year, I did at a wonderful University of Iowa Hospitals and Phoenix, which is a very huge um, uh, tertiary care center that caters to the Midwest. Uh, my dean is uh, Paul Rossman, who was an amazing, incredible teacher. He's now CEO of John Hopkins. And it was, it's like uh, I was in a candy store. That's something I i just loved. Uh, you know, this is what I wanted to do whole my life. Um, one of the things I wanted to do whole my life. So I'm a trained MD in internal medicine, but... Uh, I basically practice as hospitalist, which is the doctor that works inside the hospital and take care of acute issues. So if you, somebody cannot breathe because of asthma or COPD or is having bleeding or heart attack or any acute issues, then we admit them to the, from the ER to the hospital, take care of them, fix them up and then discharge them back to their uh, primary care doctor to take over, uh, which is perfect because that's, that's what I imagined me doing as a child to do acute medicine. I will totally not be a good primary care doctor. So I have a huge respect for primary care doctors Mm. over there. Thank you for all that you do, (laughs) because I couldn't do what you do. I have no patience to follow up diabetic and counsel them. I think it's, it's a tremendous job, and we need more of them. So I'm an acute medicine doctor. Yeah. I'm a hospitalist. Um, it's been 10 years of hospitalist. I have also been an academic physician. I was an assistant professor in Wake Forest Baptist University, where I taught people how to be me. So <laughs> uh, I taught residents and medical students, which was a very good experience. And then I taught at St. Mary's um, Medical Center in San Francisco too. But right now I'm a non-academic physician and. I love everything about medicine. I can do acute medicine forever. Yeah, so that's my main
0: job. <laughs> so this book is is quite a bit different from uh, what I typically have on my show. Um, this book is a poetry and art collection, um, but a lot of it is inspired by and interwoven with your career and experiences as a doctor. Um, can you talk a bit about what inspired you to write Pillow of Dreams?
1: Um, as I said, so when uh, it goes all the way back to my childhood, as I stated that my dad, he's a researcher, research scientist, and also a writer. And my uncle was studying Bachelor of Arts, and he used to bring his <laughs> textbooks home that I would, like, forge on. I just loved literature so much. So um, I have been writing since I was, since I could Right, I think. I have been writing. I, I wrote and published as a child. Um, at times I lied about my age mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can get published. I didn't think it's from a child. But I had been writing for a very long time. And uh, But, you know, medicine is a very uh, intense uh, education and it is very demanding on your time and mind space. So I had to leave literary part of uh, me uh, on the side to pursue medicine, that I that is my number one passion. Uh, but I, you know, once you're a writer, you're always a writer. And I feel like uh, I have a bit a, a different philosophy about life. I feel like all of us are here; we've been sent by universe to do certain things, you know. And they are they come to you in our lives in the form of passion. So when you quiet the noise around you and you listen very deeply to what your constitution is, that, that what, what is directed in from inside to its outside is your passion. And when you pursue your passion and when you manifest what you're supposed to manifest, it gives a very different uh, feeling. It is, I think it is the same state of trance that saints accomplish during meditation. So it's like, a musician who wants to make music feels exactly, or a dancer uh who is a bond dancer feels like that that's how I feel about writing or dancing or creating art or even talking to people uh, or in just general sense of my being so i have the I, I am genetically wired uh, to transmit ink from sky <laughs> <laughs> and, and so what happened was um during my second year of residency um I sustained a very massive stroke. I had a left uh, middle cerebral artery dissection. Um, After 22 um, night shifts I was doing, I was helping a friend to go for fellowship interviews. So um, I was trying to help him out by doing night shifts for him. And I became paralyzed. Uh, It was a very um, eye-opening experience for me in the sense it made me feel that uh, the transient nature of our existence, you know, um, it's very, dis- uh, we can connect with other people's stories, but when we become that story, it's a very different acceptance and, um, and realization. So even though at that time, you know, I, 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 I'm a born compassionate person, I could connect uh, to other people's suffering. But the whole idea that everything is very temporary and everything is very unpredictable revealed itself to me. It's like <laughs> you're fabulous, myth, but hey, <laughs> I'm going to take half a brain away from you <laughs> and you can't do anything about it. <laughs> so um, that kind of led me onto this very firm uh, fact that I'm not going to take a single day for granted. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to exactly do what my heart, soul, and mind gets in sync with. Um, So I don't have to, you know, uh, uh, not do things that make me who I am. So uh, in addition to medicine, um, and my father, like my father was always... uh, very encouraging. My mom is always like, I'm very blessed to have a family my siblings and my brother my brother sisters, everybody wanted me to write a book and I was like, wait, let me just finish medicine so as soon as I was done with my um, you know, making sure that everybody's uh, financially secure, my brother was going to a college and I did my share of responsibilities towards my family um, I I had a divorce, (laughs) and that, uh, and then I had a heartbreak. So all these things, all together, like, made me like just do whatever I can to put my, um, you know, to to put myself on pages because words are very powerful and it can really pull people out of uh, despair so that's why I wrote this book it was my basically I did it for my <laughs> my parents my my dad especially I think for the first time he said he's proud of me when this book came out so I wrote it for my dad and mom but then it went um, it reached a lot more people who needed to read this book I guess and there, it's a very 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 it was a very amazing experience and I'm I'm just I hope everybody who's listening to this podcast uh, I remembers that you know life is really very temporary and very transient and don't um, you have to survive you, you need to take care of your survival first it's in our sacred book Bhagavad Gita that survival of body is very important you know do your prescribed duties otherwise survival of body will become impossible but you also have to satisfy your purpose and passion and not postpone, not wait because we are very perishable. So, uh, the only way to leave permanence of yourself is to create something. And if you, and I, I really believe everybody was, you are creating a podcast. I think that's your passion, that's your purpose, and you're leaving a sense of your permanence, um, by doing this. So I would encourage everybody who's listening to this podcast to at least spend an hour in a day or two hours in a day towards doing what, what makes you move, what makes you come alive. So that's how this book was born. And this is, this has been one of the most incredible experiences of my life because uh, as a doctor, I, I don't I, I don't like to use word saving lives because I, I find that very, <laughs> Narcissistic thing to say, <laughs> but I do my share of uh, taking care of people and making sure I, you know, do my best as a doctor. So in terms of physiology and uh, you know, anatomically, I feel like that uh, as a doctor, I take care of their diseases. But this is this book is for the rescuing of souls And uh, a lot of women who messaged me, there were two women who said they didn't commit suicide because of my book and, um, you know, a lot of the time we conquered, I have conquered death inside the hospital uh, wall by giving medications, but that kind of was very, uh, it affected me very deeply that words are there um, to provide that support. And a lot of other women, the people, men. There are men who told me that they keep my book in their nightstand and re- read it at times. Uh, they're rereading reading reading it at times, four times, to because because they want to keep reinforcing certain words. And and I think that's a very beautiful way to connect with more than uh, more than you know somebody immediately uh, near me. It's the power of uh, literature that it reaches beyond what you can see. So that's what this book accomplished for me and that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> it's an incredible experience.
0: Uh, so one of the things I thought was really cool is 100% of the book's profits go to a good cause. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that and why that cause is important to you?
1: So um, <laughs> I keep referring to my childhood because I feel like I haven't grown as an adult. (laughs) uh, I feel like the purpose of my adulthood is to make sure that the child inside of me remains alive and does things that it always wanted to do. So when uh, I I grew up uh, being surrounded by seeing inequality in terms of resources, uh, we had... uh, Made whose children couldn't go to uh, school because it, it was very expensive. Then I had uh, seen it was just I have seen extreme poverty, and I <laughs> I used to go to uh, there are in in Delhi there there are magnificent houses, you know, like any other country, and just like any other country, there is extreme poverty as well. There are people who are li- living near um, dirty water. I used to go and talk about hygiene as a child, and I, I used to give away the books and my pencils and at uh, my pocket money um, so they can get some um, school supplies and medicines. Um, but my dad, <laughs> dad and mom told me that what I need to do is that I should. I need to become so strong and big that I can do it at a bigger level. And uh, they continue to support my giving away books. But they said that I have to become very strong myself and very accomplished so I can do it uh, at a wider scale. So, um, but you have to be very patient. You have to build yourself up before you can give shelter. You have to build a home first before you offer somebody shelter. So, um, when I was, uh, when I did all I really needed to do to support myself, uh, then I always uh, wanted, uh, there was, when Syrian refugee crisis was going on, that was very close to my heart because you know, um, growing up, we were in a rental house and uh, rental apartments. And just the fear that somebody doesn't have a place and has become total refuge in a different country and with no name was very scary to me. And therefore, I went there. And uh, I would actually applaud Greece. So, those, those were the refugee camps in Greece. I would applaud Greece, Greek people. Who were so supportive, their own uh, economy was in crisis and they were still so magnanimous and gracious in helping, um, refugees and embracing them. So I, I, I still, uh, so I want to, uh, I went there to, and I painted the kids. I wanted to make them smile and we did dance together. <laughs> so in my, in that capacity, but also I want, uh, I'm developing, um, uh, It's going to be a very slow and speedy process, but I think that's what I always wanted to do. I love technology. And in my opinion, it's 2018. And uh, just because uh, the bridge between what is available uh, to treat people and diagnostics that are available in, in ways we can change them into algorithms and make the outreach to such people possible uh, should not be a challenge. I think technology is, is how you democratize uh, health care. Technology is how you democratize education. It's very important to me, and I refuse to postpone it. So that made me uh, go there, and that, uh, that's why I ended up making this non-profit and um, I create artwork also. I make paintings and, uh, I'm actually doing a show in San Francisco and, uh, hopefully we can raise more money. It's not just for refugee camps. It's basically any underprivileged. Even within America, there is such a, a sad state where healthcare is not reaching everywhere it should reach. It has, unfortunately, it has, people are pimping out <laughs> healthcare. It has become a commodity, which it should not be. It should not be luxury. Um, it should not be the color, color purple of royals that that's forbidden. To that's only uh, asset of riches. It's very, uh, it it breaks it breaks the nation apart. It breaks the community apart. So I'm very uh, passionate and emotional about it. And only way I can help is incorporate my emotions into action. And uh, you know I'm not a very wealthy person, but I am uh, comfortable enough that I can. You know do justice to certain things, and at times what the most important resource you have in your life is you. you are the resource you are the resource for each and every dream that you want to pursue, and it's you rather fail pursuing those goals than not letting them breathe ever outside of your existence so that's that's why so my second book and third book, which will be coming is also um. I'm going to be towards that cause. Um, I have to pay engineers. <laughs> so that, that, uh, I, I feel like because the poetry comes from such a sacred place uh, of existence of my being, art comes from such a uh, sacred and pristine place of my being that it goes towards something equally, um, you know, equal place, which is helping others.
0: <laughs> so I see you often are a, a keynote speaker at a lot of different kinds of events. What type of events do you typically speak at and what do you usually speak about?
1: So, you know, Jeremy, the thing is, um, I was very fortunate that during my primary education that I could read a lot more about life Uh than what is taught in standard schools because of the environment at home like I read about Buddhism and Jainism and Bhagavad Gita and spirituality as a child uh, maybe from like during 3rd grade, 4th grade, 5th grade Um, I think those 3 years I read a lot about uh, these spiritual aspects of life which is very very important so when I What ends up happening is, in 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 general, in our society nowadays, is when children say, "I want to be a firefighter," or "I want to be a doctor," or "I want to be an engineer." It just uh, breaks my heart because I think there is a lot of gap between what is required to really live a life, not just sustain and pass through life. There is a lot of uh, need of uh, people. Uh, to you know, I, I feel like everybody's running. What is that hamster? I, I, I don't know many American flanks, but there is hamster in wheel, right? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I feel like there is a lot of hamster in wheel motion that happens, and it's because media determines what, what the goals are, what the glamorous thing is. What there are a lot of fascination towards labels, right? Um, so in order to be successful, like who should be happy? So, they have this happy family portrayal or happy person portrayal or happy uh, uh, just in terms of accomplished life. And then contrary to that is also media bringing uh, these labels of shame. So people are scared of shame and people are fascinated with what is uh, portrayed as success, right? Success and shame is how I feel like most people are running, running, running. Which should not happen because success is a very uh, individualistic thing, in my opinion. And who are these outside factors that tell us what to be ashamed of? So what ends up happening is people are locked inside of themselves because pain is portrayed as shameful experience. Uh, failure or uh, I don't call them failures. I call them as lessons. But some painful lessons are portrayed as shameful, shameful behavior. Uh, if things don't go the way the world is saying is the right way, it, it, it brings about so much shame that everything is locked inside of them. I have a fr- friend, she's a very accomplished engineer. She has a son. Um, she was gang raped and, uh, and now, now she's an amazing engineer. And she talks about her experience without shame. Now, Uh, I'm just giving a very extreme example, but there can be a failure of relationship like divorce or a heartbreak or an illness or just uh, not doing what the society is, or not having a big house or not driving a certain car. I drive Toyota. so (laughs) Everybody tries to put me down and they say, why don't you drive a BMW or Mercedes? And I I always say, I love my car because uh, I had a major accident and it protected me. I'm very attached to it and I don't care if... I don't look amazing to you getting out of it. I love my car, so I'm just saying um, that people are uh, are living more and more in such uh, uh, in such prisons than before because uh, because of social media or learning about each other and media being so powerful. So my I feel like <laughs> I feel like my job is to open that and make them feel it's okay and take away those. Bright and glittery labels, you know. Uh, we all are going to die. It's, there is a finite life. It's a very finite and it's very unpredictable life. You should allow your uh, heartbreaks to breathe outside. You should allow uh, your journey to breathe outside. You know, uh, it's okay not to have everything, it's okay not to do everything. It's okay not to drive certain kind of cars. It's okay that your neighbors uh, are doing better than you. I just so during my um, my keynote speaking, which I try actually not to go because it's, a, it's a, it takes away a lot of my time that I want to create, uh, keep creating more work. But it's also a wonderful opportunity to learn other people's experiences. So. It, I feel like I release I them from this. And it's such a beautiful, amazing opportunity to be human. You know, you are the highest of all animals in terms of capacity. And who, how did we end up trapping ourselves in boxes where we are not letting our whole soul manifest? And that's why there is so much disconnect in this world because of this fear and shame. And... Fear and shame are the root cause of greed, <laughs> and greed is the root cause of violence and inequality and dissatisfaction and much wrong in society. So, if we remove the fear, if we remove the shame, if we let people do things, uh, if we let people be who they are, be genuine to their own self, uh, be the own, make their own measurements. You know, you don't have to fit in. The box that's created by, you know, A, D or C person. Make your own measurements, live your own life and enjoy the slowness that it brings about. You are here to devour every moment, hear every moment, spend time with your pain, spend time with your suffering, spend time with your conquest, spend time with your victory. Let it build you up. Let it build you up. Let, because you build yourself up so you can see more things in life, and when you break down because you are going to break down, you won't be ashamed, but you'll have new ideas how to put yourself back together in a very different form. It may not be better, it not may not be worse, in a different form. and that's evolution, and it's, it's beautiful to evolve. And uh, for people who are t- who are trying so hard. Uh, to spit in certain stereotypes, it's a very liberating experience. And that's, that's very important for me if I can read this into, uh, into other people's lives because then their life becomes very authentic and very genuine and uh, it brings a lot of assurity and security. And when you're secure and when you're sure in your own self, the jealousy, the, the restlessness, the comparative happiness, I call it comparative happiness, uh, all those things go away and a very uh, you li- you can live a very truthful and authentic life um and so that's what i try to tell them and uh uh it's uh, i i tell them that, that when when i was deep down I, when i was completely broken i had i caught if somebody asked me i would tell them that oh my god i'm having a hard day or somebody broke my heart and i'm I'm like so destroyed right now. <clears throat> I never would hide and that was a very healthy thing for me to do. Uh and I hope people can embrace their uh building up, waking up, all celebrate everything. Let it let it take you in a that's a very beautiful state of mind to be. And uh, also during these you keynote speaks I talk about happiness versus being in the beautiful state of mind, and uh, my message is always this: that you know, um, it's very hard to detach from feedback system, but it's very worth it. You have to, if you can detach uh, yourself from feedback system that constantly comes through marketing <laughs> of uh, of feeding you with corporations that want you to buy their stuff all the time. You know, if you can free yourself from all those things that are not always bad, but they can be when they overtake your innate happiness uh, or innate sense of beauty. So I am a very proponent of innate sense of beauty inside. And what it means is that uh, to be always in this beautiful state of mind is more fulfilling. It's very fulfilling. It's a very gratifying experience. And it trumps happiness. It trumps joy. It trumps pleasure. And we should aim for that, because if we are chasing pleasure, happiness, joy, whole our life, it's very exhaustive, and it's something that will always leave you starved. If you can just be in the state of fulfillment, if you can be in the state of, you know, constant state of fulfillment and a beautiful state of mind, that makes you build beautiful things, beautiful connections, uh, serene thoughts. Uh, it's a, that's what you should aim for. And what happens is, but that cannot be marketed. Nobody can, <laughs> nobody can profit uh, off that thing. That's why it's not told enough to people. That's why it's not taught. So when you meditate, when you uh, have a human connection, when you're compassionate, when you're philanthropist, when you're eating good food, when you're walking in sunshine, when you're studying, when you're building yourself up, when you're experiencing emotions of pain, and uh, healing, when you're experiencing love, all these help cultivate those beautiful state of being. And the root of that is learning. Learning is so important. If you're always open to learning from no matter what is thrown at you, if if an illness is thrown at you, if uh, uh, a breakup is thrown at you, if divorce is thrown at you, uh, if financial challenges are thrown at you, if you make yourself open to learning from that particular segment of life, that is always taller than suffering. That can end any suffering. You will feel pain, but suffering will go away because now you're a student and a student's job is to learn. So uh, so learning is the root of that tree of uh, being in that beautiful state of being. And it is such a strong tree of existence that it can fight any storm, no matter where you are. And that's why what happens is, when you see people becoming CEOs or successful actors or doctors, or, or like in society's mind, or even teacher, or no matter what you do, if you're just constantly chasing happiness, joy, pleasure, you are so starved, you don't have that tree that access inside of you that you go through you go through like uh, that's, I, I feel like that's why people end their lives, because there is nothing to hold them to the ground. There is nothing to hold them within themselves. And uh, unfortunately, we don't talk about it enough because it's not a glamorous thing to do, but it's a very vital thing to do. Uh, that's why if you see, you know, um, people who have a cult of beautiful-looking people, a perfect family appearance, in right car, a right house, and everything correct, but they are not fulfilled. They are restless and they are fighting from inside of them, and that happens because because of this. So my message is to everybody, <laughs> including to myself, is to pursue. The beautiful state of mind, because that generates uh, things like compassion and philanthropy for both others and self. So that's what I usually talk about my keynote speaking. So no, <laughs> that was my keynote speaking at your show, Jeremy.
0: All right. Uh, your um, book is uh, broken up into four distinct parts. Uh, can you please explain these parts, uh, titles, and their themes for our listeners?
1: Yeah, so this um, I'm a die romantic, and I love it. So, <laughs> so my book, book is—I'm uh, actually opening my book as I'm talking to you. Um, so it has uh, it has four parts, and it's about uh, it's about loving, you know, a girl in love, you know, and then a girl whose heart is broken and a girl who is or a person. Let me, I'm gender-neutral human being. So a person <laughs> who who fell in love or who is experiencing highest of all experiences. I call love an augmented reality because all your three neurotransmitters are at its peak. <laughs> then it becomes an augmented reality. So a person in love, a person whose heart is broken, and a person who is healing, and a person who con- who is conquering finally the self. So cyber is the first section, and Saibu means the one who loves. So Saibu is an Indian word, Hindi word, or Udu word, and it means lover. And the second section is called Mira. The, Mira is uh, a mythological character in our scriptures, where she was a lover of one of the gods. You know, we have a lot of gods mm-hmm. <laughs> in our mythology. Um, in, our, in our religion. So uh, Neera was uh, a woman in love with Lord Krishna, but they never were together. They, she could never, their relationship wasn't fulfilled, but she was always in love with him and she used love as meditation and, uh, and yearning was part of her life. And she wrote a lot of poems, by the way. She wrote a lot of, like, she created a lot of literature. She was one of the most celebrated writers of uh, old times. And the next is Anahita. Anahita is the goddess of healing, Persian goddess of healing. So this section talks about uh, healing and uh, based on the name of that goddess. And Mulan is my favorite character, (laughs) Chinese character, the the little girl who uh, acted like a boy so she can go on behalf of her very sick father, and she won a lot of uh, wars and battles, and she was a very celebrated warrior. Uh, so it was the transition in life, in experiences, uh, how a person comes about their own existence. So it starts with the love for somebody else, the flesh outside of you, which I hope everybody experiences, because it's a beautiful feeling. But it circles back to love for self and how to fall in love with yourself, uh, which will how to rescue yourself and how how to become a hero to your own self, how not to wait for how to become your own knight in shining armor. <laughs> so these are the full sections. So yeah, so and there is a lot of artwork. I love I love paintings. I'm obsessed with art and I feel like art is a perfect interface between kingdoms and between time dimensions. And art is where, you know, two different eyes or souls can can meet and try to understand each other. Um, Art outlives kingdoms. Um, Art is a very important human necessity. So uh, I think one of my words, once I wrote, it's in my second upcoming book. Uh, It says, because my flesh can perish, I shall leave my soul to art. So that's how much I I love art. (laughs) Uh, It has a lot of the sketches that I poured my heart and soul into.
0: You have a section uh, in the book called uh, When Death Made Sense of Life about how a... uh, 38 year or you had a 38 year old uh, patient die of metastatic cancer can you please talk about this
1: yeah so I think that's how that's one of the very beginnings of my uh, book and uh, this is uh, in life you there are experiences and then there are certain things that just shake you uh, at cellular level and this was one of my experiences I was Teaching at Saint Mary's Medical Center. I'm not saying name of the patient, so I'm not doing HIPAA violation. Um, but I was working. I was a teaching attending, and I had an intern with me. And there was a there was this lady and girl, very young, with you know, ascites, uh, which is fluid in this abdominal area, no hair, brittle nails, ulcers in the mouth, and she had her mother twenty four hours right there and that uh, all the parameters all the parameters stated that she will not be able to make it we, um and we were whenever we have a patient whose death is very imminent we talk about conflict and hospice and mother did not want it and daughter did not want it she wanted to live and she said i haven't done anything i really wanted to do and this thing just happened to me so um, i just want to get it get better so i can do all the things i want to do that was a a very um very moving thing to hear right like mm-hmm. she didn't do anything she wanted to do where she had no life expectancy she's waiting to get better from things that she'll never get better from so most of the doctors work in very, uh, we have a lot of time crunch. We, as I stated, the healthcare has become so uh, inefficient at times that the humane touch, we lose at times. So we had some doctors who were losing patience with her. But I wanted to, that's why I became a doctor, because I wanted to connect to people and I wanted to give everything that I have learned or that I am, to help me to change. And I'm actually a very aggressive physician. I don't give up on anything that can be fixed. Um, So I spent a lot of time with her. And then finally, you know, we had this discussion. And she said, uh, I'm ready to leave. And me and then I said, I want to do whatever makes you happy right now. I'll do whatever for you, whatever makes... And she said, I I don't like food. She couldn't eat. She said, I just want to go outside. So me and my intern, we took her outside. And uh, she just sat with her mother. And she was in so much deep looking outside. And it was a very humane experience. It was... um, It was a privilege to witness something like that. And um, then we took her back. She died that uh, middle of the night. The next day she was not, she ceased to exist next day. So that was, uh, you know, that was a very uh, open reminder to all of us who think their pain is bigger than their inside. Till the time you can breathe, till the time you can see, till the time you can walk, be grateful and make yourself uh, better for yourself so you can serve everybody. And don't postpone your joy. Don't postpone the living part. It's important to invest in building yourself, but it's not... Good to postpone living the process and loving the process because you never know what happens to you. And I, I was just um, in peace with one thing that uh, I could, I could make her feel good for a few moments before, you know, in all the days she was in the hospital for a very long time, and she was miserable. For the first time, she was in peace. So I you know, I thought it was an, a complete privilege. That was not even a medical treatment. That was me putting her in a wheelchair and kicking her down. But I felt like a doctor at that time when I stopped being, being her Um That was very important for me.
0: Can you please read the poem, uh, Requiem, that you dedicated to that patient?
1: Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I wrote this. Um, after I came back that night because of what I was witnessing when she was looking outside, sitting with her mom. So it says Requiem, oh dear moment, slide slowly your finger through her tresses, rest a bit on her eyes before you dissolve in her mouth as she tastes you complete and you soak her words. Like rain, looks to sea. dear moment falls on her lips. With that eternal kiss that lasts longer than a lifetime. Be gentle and softly settle on her skin. Before life exhales you out at the very last one. Let her capture you in her lungs, on her canvas, in her songs. She wants to feast on you as a merger of forever, as the taste of sandalwood aroma and the colors of fall and the music of Christmas lights and the innocence of laughter and the blow of bruised sunsets. Let her travel to the little garden of memory. Oh dear moment, pass slowly. Oh dear moment, pass slowly. Oh dear moment, pass slowly.
0: Thank you. Uh, let's uh, let's try to switch to a little bit more positive note. Um, in the book, you write different letters to the readers. Uh, one of them starts out, Dear Broken One. Um, another one starts out, Dear Majestic Warrior. And you even dedicated the book to the reader. Can you talk a little bit about this?
1: Yeah. Um, so, Jeremy, I really feel like there are no strangers in life. There are just people that you haven't met yet. So my words belong to people. You know, Uh, I even say that so many times. I don't think I'm writing. When people ask me how I'm writing, because I feel like it's like a seizure. I'm just letting guys, you know, walk through me uh, and just put themselves on the paper. And I just, I feel privileged to experience that process. So I, these letters, the uh, so readers are my friends. You know, they, they are the friends that I have not met yet, and they they are my family that I haven't met yet. So whoever is reading this book, uh, it's like it's like me sitting next to them and having a conversation, and that's why I dedicated this book to them because that's the only way for me to meet. It's like millions of minds thinking one thought that all hearts keep the same, and all feelings are valid, shared, and important. So that's why I dedicated it to them, and that's why my letters were a um, very important part of that, because my letters were how uh, how I wanted to tell everyone that their whatever they are thinking is important part of their being, and they have complete right to experience life the way it's coming to them, and they have complete right uh, and freedom to comprehend it the way they want. And I was just trying to assist, because uh, that's what I wrote, I think, in my beginning, that we all are connected with common threads of pain, suffering, loss, joy, little victories, um, pressure, all of these things. We are very. It's a very shared experience. And... <clears throat> It, that's why that's why we all are sane, and that's why we all belong to each other. So this letter dear Broken one is actually um, um, is one of my reader reads it every single day because she's going through a very hard time, and this helps her. Um, so so I'm connected to her with this letter, and whoever else is reading these letters, it's like holding hand to words.
0: Before the interview, when we were talking online, you had asked me to have you tell everybody how you make your coffee. Would you tell everybody how you make your coffee?
1: <laughs> my coffee. <laughs> so I'm a big foodie, and I'm a big uh, nutrition. I consider myself a herbie uh, herbie specialist. So, uh, especially since my stroke, I really wanted to get as much uh superpowers as possible so i eat very uh curious foods um that helps me uh, that make me superhuman you know and fabulous so <laughs> my coffee is one of them so every morning uh i boil water uh in the steel pot because i i don't have anything non-stick because i don't want to die of cancer who you knows? but I don't like non-stickware, so in my steel pot, which is BPA-free, I boil water, and it has all the possible herbs. So it has fenugreek seeds, and uh, it has cinnamon, a particular kind of cinnamon. I'm blanking off the name of that, but it's a good quality cinnamon which is not toxic. Uh, then it has cloves. Cloves are highest antioxidant. Uh, they have very high antioxidant activity so organic cloves, then uh, it has black peppers, organic black peppers, then ginger, uh, cardamom, and uh, turmeric, and uh, I boil this, and throughout the day, I make uh, the coffee or tea from them, uh, so when I make my coffee, so once everything is <laughs> boiled, I put manuka honey in my, it's a New Zealand honey, has a lot of enzymatic activity, so I put Manuka cup. put my organic uh, fair trade coffee powder and then I put this and then whole goat milk um, whole fat goat milk because it doesn't have um, I I think it has A2 casein, it does not have even casein which is bad which is what, even casein is worth in cow's milk which is not good it's related to cancer associated with cancer and mood disorders so I use goat milk um, and uh, So that's how I I make my coffee, and then after few hours, I'll have matcha tea from the same thing. I'll make matcha tea, and uh, and this or then after few hours, I'll have uh, um, I'll have other kind of tea. Like I have I have a tea bar at home. I'm a teaaholic. So uh, morning, I have this coffee, and I use rosemary also in this (laughs) boiling water thing in my mixture and I smell rosemary uh, twice a day as soon as I wake up and then when I'm going to bed it's part of my routine highly recommended <laughs> so, it's very delicious actually <laughs> and it's yummy <laughs> it makes me happy and uh, joyful and in a beautiful state of mind of fulfillment <laughs> I think I thank God and Universe for the beautiful opportunity that's given to me by making me this angelic drink <laughs> <laughs> that I I savor very very gently. And I, if if there is a reality show on me, they can just make it on me making my food. How much happy it makes me! <laughs> I make my own chocolates at home. I make my own energy bars at home. I make my own meals with so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a it's like a vacation. <laughs> it's been a very good experience, so that's how I make my coffee, everybody. <laughs> it'll It'll enhance your brain too.: <laughs> Well, it it'll sounds delicious. Cloves. <laughs> and it's yummy, Jeremy. It's very delicious.
0: Well, Niv, I've taken up a lot of your time today. Um, my final question for you is, uh, what are you working on now?
1: I'm working on too many things, but uh, <laughs> I'm working on some short movies. We are going to shoot some of the poems uh, in Uganda. One of the movie directors wants to do it. But I'm most excited about my second book, which is already, uh, I think it's available on Triodra on Amazon. You would love the title, Jeremy. Are you ready to hear the title? I'm ready. Yeah, <laughs> Embrace yourself. Brace yourself, it's called "I'm not a Princess I'm a complete fairy tale." <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a princess, I'm a complete fairy tale it has um it's uh, it's very close to my heart, and it has very interesting very um serial, uh, serial and very uh, celestial kind of artwork, very different from my last book, and it has some of the very powerful poems. And it is basically, the purpose is to break the external feedback system of, you know, media profiting and ma- making you believe you're a princess or, you know, you, you're, you're a single story person. You know, you're not a single story person. You're a multiple story person. And it's not just okay to have to be more than one story. We should celebrate to be more than one story and embrace it and be proud of it. So, for everybody... Try to check on Amazon. It's called "I'm Not a Princess," and I'm a complete fairy tale. And it has a sample of the poems actually um, on the on the on the image. There are samples of the poems. And another thing is now I have author page on Amazon, and I put little videos of me reciting uh, poems from this upcoming book on my author page. So there are some videos if somebody wants to go. Check how adorably I recite my own work. It's there. <laughs> it's there. Check it out. You would love it. Mm. And um, if anybody wants to follow me on uh, social media, I love social media. I'm not, I just created a Twitter account yesterday, but I have my Facebook account. Uh, where before we published this book, it I had. 300 Facebook friends and after this book I've reached almost 5,000 but we created a um, Facebook page for me. It's Nivedita Lakira page and uh, now we have a Twitter account also, Nivedita Lakira, and I have a podcast coming soon which is called Live With Niv and of course I'm on LinkedIn if anybody wants to catch me there and hopefully we are going to create an Instagram account as well. But now find me on my Facebook fan page. It's called Nivedita Lakira page. Uh, or follow me on my Facebook or LinkedIn.
0: Thank you very much. I'd love to have you back on the show when your next book is finished and we could chat about that one as well.
1: Oh, I'm so excited too, Jeremy. I can't wait to talk and uh, talk to you and all your listeners who are amazing. And uh, yeah, I would love to have a conversation. So if they leave comments, I would love to know how they like my book, how they like lo- uh, love This conversation um, and also if they have more questions I would love to answer them
0: Niv, I want to thank you again for being on the show today, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you take care
1: thank you Jeremy, take care too and take care everybody